Nishma Sibah Wabah Mah 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Did he die? Die, 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 die. Did he die?
Kunstler words that we will uh, say tomorrow. Yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be reading the Torah and uh, we'll come across Az Yashir. Plus, of course, Az Yashir, uh, which we say every day in our tefillah. There it is. That's uh, Aryeh Kunstler at JM in the AM, uh, who joined us yesterday for our live lunch, and I thank him for that. Benny Friedman, Ashir Lashem. Um, more from the Az Yashir section of the Torah. Micha Mocha, same thing. Sholly Waldner. Hatov done by Shlomo Simcha. Eitan Katz, brand new with the Breast of Lachado D off of Live in Jerusalem, 
volume number two. And, of course, Regesh Modani opening things up, and we say good morning. How are we doing so far? Well, ask uh, Aaron and Yael Katzman. They're getting ready for Shabbos, listening to our wonderful music from the lowest place in the world, the Dead Sea. And we are congratulating Aaron, who completed the Dead Sea Half Marathon, and saying Shabbat Shalom to Aaron and Yael as uh, we get set for uh, Shabbos Shira here at JM in the AM. It's Friday morning on this February the 7th, day 12 of the month of Shvat. It's of Shabbos Parshas B'Shalach, Shabbos Shira, candle lighting in New York at 5 p.m. And Monday is our two B'Shvat special. Mayor Weingarten will be here. He'll co-host with me. We'll do an entire two B'Shvat special. We'll be celebrating two B'Shvat together for three straight hours on Monday. Uh, Mayor has uh, the unique and incredible uh, uncanny ability to make it an exciting program with discussion about the Hebrew language and discussion about the land of Israel. And uh, it's all going to be happening Monday between 6 and 9 a.m., so make sure to be tuned in. You won't want to miss it. Today, later on, about an hour an hour and change from now, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He's going to be with us uh, from Israel. He's actually in Jerusalem, so he'll be with us from Israel as we discuss... Um, uh, the weekly update and the news of this week. Uh, so that'll happen uh, at about 7.40 Eastern time this morning. And, of course, Rabbi Yudin will discuss uh, Parshas B'Shalach at 8.15 and plenty more all the way until 9 a.m. Eastern time right here at JM in the AM. 42 degrees, 91.1% humidity, winds in northeast at 11 miles per hour. Morning rain and wind with a high of 60 Nice. Partly cloudy tonight, low 28. Wow. That's a difference. Mostly sunny tomorrow. A high shop is 41 degrees. 44 in Yerushalayim, 42 in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. I thank all of you for tuning in. A lot of great programming coming up all through the day, as you can imagine. No need to imagine, in fact. All you got to do is stay tuned in, <laughs> and you'll see and experience just how incredible our programming is. Um uh, this morning and all through the day. Uh, coming up at 9 o'clock is Naomi Nachman with uh, Table for Two. Coming up at uh, 10 a.m., encore presentation of the Arab Shabbos Show, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. And that is, of course, uh, Mark Zamek, who's going to be presenting that. On um, At 1 o'clock, it's uh, Harry Rothenberg with the uh, weekly Parsha blog. And then at um, the video blog, I should say. And then right after that, it's a uh, wonderful collection of Erev Shabbos music on the Erev Shabbos music mix brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem all the way until candle lighting time. So plenty going on. Great day here at the Nahum Siegel Network and, of course, here at JM in the AM. More from Eitan Katz at JM in the AM.
Shuvah, be mama, kol asher oso, vayichal elokim, vayo. 
J.M. and the A.M. Dovi Shapiro, this is my home, closes out the uh, 6 o'clock hour for us here on a Friday morning era of Shabbos. Before that, Mordechai and David and Kol Mekadesh. You heard Micha Mocha, Yeshiva Boys Choir, with words from this week's Parsha. Rise Up, that was Simcha Liner, one of the stars of our 2020 Kosher Halftime Show. If you haven't seen it yet, make sure to head to YouTube, search Kosher Halftime Show 2020, or go to our website, you'll see it on the homepage, or go to Facebook.com slash Nahum Single Network. Kolon Hashama, done by Yaakov Shweki, Yishai Rebo with Adon Olam, Eitan Katz, Nigun Chazak to open up that set from his Live in Jerusalem volume number two. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and NahumSingle.com and the Nahum Single Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. <laughs> Galay Tzal in the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. 42 degrees, morning rain and wind with a high of 60. Good-looking day for tomorrow here in New York. Thank goodness for that. Good luck to the Yeshiva University men's basketball team. The Maccabees go for 20 straight tomorrow night up at the Max Stern Athletic Center, Yeshiva University. Should be an amazing night up there. And... Uh, those of you who are following closely and are taking great pride in what they're doing on the court, tomorrow night, 8.30, Max Stern Athletic Center up in Washington Heights. We'll see if the University men's basketball team, the Maccabees, can get 20 in a row, which would be unbelievable. Galaitzal in the background. Galaitzal, Israel Army Radio. Do we have Israel Army Radio? Hmm. Have we lost our connection? Uh, it seems we have. All right, my apologies. We were right there, ready to present our newscast at the top of the hour. Uh, unfortunately, it seems that uh, something went wrong at some point, and I apologize for that. More coming up. You are listening to JM and the AM. A reminder to vote oic.org. Those of you who are uh, who are um, living here on this side of the world. You have the right to uh, vote for whichever slate you wish in the World Zionist Congress. Go to voteoic.org. We, of course, are suggesting that you vote for the uh, slate number four. That's the one we're on, slate number four. Uh, Go to uh, voteoic.org for information. Voteoic.org for all the information. Some Haliners next. This is JM in the AM.
morning, I hear my children laughing as they play. The trees start singing without warning. It's gonna be a wonderful day. You know I got no patience for complaining. To stop and quetch about all the bills I have to pay. Cause even when there should be sunshine but it's raining. My feet will dance me to the kretschma anyway. So many smiles. The blessings, they're coming, but you keep on running. Just sound and sing. Plus,
JM in the AM. That is, of course, Chazen Yanki Lemmer with Mim Komcha here on a Friday morning era of Shabbos. Before that, you heard the uh, Benny Friedman, Harasha, and Kulanu Neilech. Vishamru, done by Shalshelis Jr. And before that, Yehuda Solomon and company. We opened up the hour with Simcha Liner and Shema Yisrael. Don't forget, Simcha's the star of the uh, 2020 Kosher Halftime Show. If you haven't seen it yet, make sure to head to our website and check it out. It is uh, truly an amazing and incredible um, alternate to the NFL's halftime show, that's to say the least. Uh, well, many of you are uh, familiar with the fact that uh, Dafyomi began its brand new cycle just a few weeks ago. Yeah. It was, um, let's see, back on January 1st was the Siyum uh, Hashas, the, uh, the largest of all the Siyum Hashas, and then on January 4th, I believe it was, the cycle began, and today... Being uh, February the uh, uh, February the seventh, if I'm not mistaken, and I'll check this with Rabbi Elephant in a moment. I believe we're on page 35, Lamed Hay, in the new cycle of Dafyomi in Meseches Brachos, the chief operating officer of the OU Kashrus Department, but somebody who is also known for other roles as well as Rabbi Moshe Elephant, who is with us live via telephone. Rabbi Elephant, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. Absolutely, you are right. Today we began Daflamar Hey, Ketzad Mavarchim. Many people keep on coming over to me. We're learning Masach the Brachas, but we haven't heard anything about Brachas. <laughs> so today we started learning about Brachas. We, we didn't disappoint. Phenomenal. Uh, is today a difficult daf, or is today a uh, a moderate daf in terms of degree of difficulty? What would you, Rabbi Elephant, say? I, w- I would say it's moderate. It's also sort of different, because all of us who have been learning the Masechta for the last couple of weeks know that a big part of the Masechta has really been a gara to Gemara, you know, more not halacha type of Gemara. But now we really begin to talk halacha, really getting into a lot of questions about brachas and what bracha to make and what bracha not to make and how to make the bracha. So it's sort of a different style to what we've been accustomed to for the last couple of weeks. But it's, it's great, and particularly because it's something that's relevant to every one of us every day, because we all eat every day. I hope so, because my <laughs> other job is all you kosher. We've got to make sure everybody eats. Right. So we have to make brachas. So now we're really going to learn how to live that way on a daily basis. Um, you know, it's funny because someone actually commented to me yesterday. I, I said, are you still in Dafyomi? They said, yeah, this is still the easy part. So I guess right. the, I guess they're anticipating the degree of difficulty to get a little bit higher uh, over uh, the next Okay, the Kate Simavarchim is not that difficult. If you're worried about difficult Gemaras, you know, that's not the hardest I've right. ever seen. But every Gemara... Especially, um, I guess that will be a great segue into this conversation with all of the aids that are out there nowadays to help people learn. Every Gemara is very accessible and very understandable. Yeah, that's true. It's amazing. All right. Um, look, I mean, I, I, as somebody who, you know, speaks to thousands of people and sometimes, you know, can wonder if anybody's out there listening, uh, you are doing a similar thing right now because right. of your incredible success with the Dafyomi Shear. Yours, one of the most. Uh, uh, one of the most popular ones literally in the world. Uh, are you getting even more reaction now than you did last cycle in terms of people out there who are listening to you on a daily basis? It's, it's just incredible. Um, wherever we go, there are people telling us that they're listening to the sheer. Um, I know you and I 
were copied on an email together this week from our friend Yossi Herzog, right. who, t- who wrote us that he's sitting on a flight to <laughs> Israel, right. 35,000 feet up in the air, and he's listening to uh, Sh- Tower Shear. I know he sent both of us the same email. Correct. But it's, I just, this morning, um, was in shul, I say, Dafyomi, here in shul in the morning, and a, a person comes over to me and says to me, so how did you enjoy Hungary? I said, Hungary, I haven't been in Hungary in at least 20 years. He said, what are you talking about? I was in Hungary yesterday, and I was there with you because I was sitting in the shul or the restaurant in Hungary listening to your Dafyomi <laughs> share. So it's just incredible um, the reaction we're getting to our share, to the other share, and how people are just so into it, and, and we're so excited about it. And uh, and you would probably then have thousands of people who are now calling you Chavrusa, at least, if not Rebbe, but uh, certainly you have a lot of Chavrusas around the world right now. A- a- absolutely, and it's a lot easier to stay at home <laughs> and have him fly to Hungary than me have to fly to Hungary. I mean, th- this is one of the reasons you're on today, because obviously we've spoken about the old Daf app, and we've spoken about the revolution in Daf Yomi, etc., but the numbers are remarkable. Uh, we were told, and, and, and you can confirm this for us, we were told, I mean, to, 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 to call the numbers of downloads of the Aldoff app record-breaking would be accurate. I mean, we're, we're, we're somewhere in the tens of thousands at this point, or certainly over 10,000, right? As a, when we started this program, and we envisioned it, you know, many, many, many months ago, we were hoping that if we'll have 10,000 downloads we would have been a success. Right. As of last night, we're over 27,000. Wow, I didn't, I didn't realize it was that high. We are over 27,000. At one point, you know, nowadays there are no secrets. Right. You know that. That's right. So everything they could tell you. Right. So they were doing analytics. So the analytics that are coming back is that one day we were in the top 10 of the Apple Play Store. I mean, I really don't know these things too much, right. but apparently we wanted the top 10 most popular apps being downloaded on a certain day, and about 10 days ago, we did analytics, and we were being listened to, not just my ship, but the app was being opened in 107 countries around the world. I mean, I, I, I'd love to see that list. It's unbelievable. There, there isn't a country... I mean, the countries on that list that I don't even know existed. <laughs> and we should and we should mention, by the way, what you just said, which is you have a lot of interesting colleagues. It's your shear, but many other Magide shear on the same app and the same opportunity for people to tune into them. Absolutely. Well, you know, this is not about my she elephant. This is about learning Torah. That's the way we look at it. Right. And we wanted to open up the daft to anybody who wants to learn from whomever they want to learn. You know, I was in Deerfield Beach for Shabbos two weeks ago. We were invited, a number of the senior staff at the OU, and somebody comes over to me and says, I love your app, but I really want to apologize. I listened to Rabbi Rosner, not to you. I said, you don't need to apologize. I was the one that brought Rabbi Rosner onto the app, and now we have five Dafyomi Shurim. As long as people are learning, that's all we're trying to accomplish. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with any one rabbi. It's, it's about bringing Torah to everyone. The truth is you welcome this competition. You want more and more people to come on and decide which Rebbe they want to they learn the daf with. Right, okay. It's not like the Super Bowl, but um, we, we, we do welcome Torah. Everybody who has something to offer, we're constantly still on the lookout for interesting subjects to put onto the app. Actually, frankly, Rabbi Schwade, who is the director of this initiative, is being inundated 
by people who have two types of calls. If somebody's computer doesn't work or his app doesn't open, of course it's our fault. Right. <laughs> who else? And the other type of call that he gets is many people are offering that they would like to give Shurim, that they have interesting subject matter that they feel they can add, and maybe they do. We just can't keep up with analyzing everybody's subject matter, and right now we're telling people we're at a six-month waiting list to get on. Unbelievable. By the way, we have to mention that uh, th- there are also, in addition to Dafyomi Shurim, there's supplemental clips with Jewish history, uh, uh, items that are related to the Daf. Reference materials that are very helpful, including Tosfos and Halacha. And I would assume you're getting reaction, maybe not as much, but reaction to those as well. We're getting incredible reaction. Um, the history that's being offered by Dr. Abramson is a real hit. A lot of people are into that. It's short clips. You know, when we went to Yeshiva, it doesn't make a difference which Yeshiva you went to. History really wasn't part of the learning of Gemara. Right. You worked on the Gemara, you worked on Rashi, Tysus, but you didn't really focus on where did Abaya live and where did Rava live and what did Abaya do for a living. But it's fascinating, and people are very into it, and we're getting an incredible reaction to that. We're also getting a lot of reaction to Tysus, as you just mentioned, right. because particularly, I think, for people who this is not the first time they're learning Dafyomi, they want to do something more, and, and they're thinking about Tysus, but it's hard to learn Tysus on your own, mm-hmm. and especially when you have limited time. Right. So we're getting incredible reaction to that. Um, Rabbi Ganak, who I know you know quite well, sure. has been giving the Torah from Rav Yosheh so that always is obviously very popular. So we're getting a lot of interest for all of the different channels on our app, and as I said, we intend to continue growing that. Unbelievable. All right, listen, the, the news of the day, it's very simple, and that's why we asked Rabbi Elephant to come on. Over 27,000 people have already installed this Doff app uh, in their phone or device, whatever the case may be. You can go to alldoff.org for information, A-L-L-D-A-F, and of course, if you go to the Apple Store or the Google Play Store. I'll I'll uh, straighten that out for you, Ray Elephant. You, you, Thank you. You can go to either one. You can get. You can have a special program for that. <laughs> you can get. You'll have more than twenty seven thousand listeners. <laughs> I guarantee you. You can get the All Daf uh, app and enjoy this incredible journey into Daf Yomi and so many other wonderful things having to do with the study of Torah. Rabbi Elephant, thank you so much for joining us. And continued Hatzlacha. It's amazing what's going on. Thank you for having us. And Nachum, you and us have a shared project. We're bringing Torah to Kal Yisrael. Amen. And that's not a small feat. That's no. not a small accomplishment. It's something to be very proud of, and I thank you for mentioning that. Uh, Rabbi Moshe Elephant is CEO of the o- OU Kashrus Department and now has continued his worldwide reputation. It's getting bigger and bigger as one of the Magide Shir of Daf Yomi on the All Daf app and, of course, for the OU in general. Friday morning, a weekly update and plenty more is all coming up. Malcolm Honeline's in Israel. We'll check in with him in the Holy Land. If you keep it right here at JM in the AM.
تای دالش ما ای زایی خیل زایی خیل دواری مربه ای کال و ای سک
It's the Yeshiva Boys. Want to uh, want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend our incredible live stream to their readers. Uh, those of you out there who want to uh, print out uh, thousands, all right, let's call it hundreds for the moment, of articles about Israel and the Jewish world uh, before Shabbos, check out JewishWorldReview.com, JewishWorldReview.com. And we thank them. Yeshiva Boys with Curry Bone. You heard Kedai done by Yaakov Shweki. Uh, the good news that Malcolm Holmline is in Israel. It's always extra special due to weekly update when he's in the Holy Land, and in this case, the Holy City of uh, Jerusalem. And um, uh, we get an opportunity to speak with him live. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays at the 7.40 Eastern Time for the weekly update. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, it's great to be with you, and especially from sunny, beautiful Yerushalayim. Oh, it must be incredible, then, I'm sure. Um, the weather is beautiful. It was uh, raining a little bit before, which is a bracha for Israel, and uh, now it's sunny and beautiful, and I can look right onto the Harabayit from where I'm sitting, and it's a beautiful sight. Is this the is this the annual uh, conference trip? Is that coming up later? What yes. Is- so what, uh, we we're here to prepare for the annual conference, um, which will be taking place in a week here in Jerusalem, with many people coming and a terrific program. And I know that there's usually another country attached. Is that something we could talk about now, or, or is, that, is that for a later time? For a later time. Okay, but there will be something, right? It's not just Israel, usually. 
We hope so, yeah. All right, very nice. Uh, speaking of other countries, a uh, <laughs> lot to talk about, to say the least, but let's talk about uh, uh, Israel for a moment before we talk about the prime minister and some of his travels this week. Um, well, it does seem that there will be no annexation in the near future. Last week you said there may have been some misunderstanding uh, between groups in Israel and and, and the, the White House, maybe even a misunderstanding between the government of Israel and the White House. Uh, do you see anything uh, in this direction of annexation happening before the March 2nd election? I do not see anything happening um, of significance. For one, uh, anything involving other parties is not going to take place. The rejectionism of the Palestinians has been in evidence again, and they, again, are missing an opportunity, um, something which is the same track record for through all the years. And the difference with this deal is that, for once, it doesn't just put the onus on Israel. It doesn't demand concessions in advance from Israel. It says that um, uh, the formula of land for peace is really peace for land, and that the um, there are obligations on both sides and demands on both sides, but it doesn't, for the first time, just put and expect from Israel concessions before there is a commitment to peace and a chance to engage in negotiations. The administration put forward a plan. It is a, a thoughtful one. Uh, there can be criticisms from the left and from the right, as there are, yeah. but... I think that uh, everybody can acknowledge that uh, those who, A, claimed that there was no plan and this was all, you know, a hoax, or that it was, uh, and made predictions in other directions on it, they should read the whole thing, see what it, it says. It's certainly subject to review and to, to changes, but that's what negotiations are about. Here you have a framework that enables them. And if we look at some of the reactions, both from Arab countries, and, and, and the most important one, Nahum, I think, was the Egyptian poll that came out yesterday that showed that the vast majority of people want to see the agreement enacted. They want to see negotiations. They they back an Arab-Israeli deal, even, even though, you know, we know polls all along have said that there was the anti-Israel attitudes were prevalent. The fact is that we see in this uh, at least one poll uh, certainly a change, and Boris Johnson has come out in, from, from, in favor of it. And the EU, despite the efforts of their foreign minister, who condemned the deal, uh, could not get a vote. And there were a number of countries, especially the East European countries, who who blocked it. So it's not a universal reaction, and it is no one universal assessment uh, of the deal. It is something that uh, is thoughtful, has a lot of things in it for the Palestinians, $50 billion in aid, the territorial questions, etc. And, and it denies the Palestinians the first time a veto which always enabled them to avoid the responsibility. The fact that UNRWA came out on it is disgraceful. The fact that the uh, Europeans can't uh, find the courage to stand up and doesn't they don't have to buy it lock, stock, and barrel, but they should be uh, adopting a position, a, a, a constructive and positive position. Yeah, at least and, and at a position that would at least get people to the table. Because again, that Egyptian poll you cite, I don't know. I don't know if it means they're just in favor of negotiation at this point. If they're really, you know, into the deal, so to speak. But at least, you know, they're looking at it as as something hopeful down the road. Uh, let's put it that way. And for those of us who, you know, <laughs> who who you know who who um, have a little bit of hope injected in us when we hear about countries like Egypt having a uh, a populace that actually wants peace, as long as the balloons. And as long as the incendiary devices 
And as long as, I mean, rockets for sure, as long as all this continues to fly from Gaza into Israel, that, that is, there's not going to be any opportunity for anybody, Egyptian, Jew, anyone, to actually uh, realize this dream for peace, right? As long as the violence continues and there's no condemnation, which is part of the agreement um, uh, by, the, by the PA and others of Hamas, etc., nothing's going to move forward. Uh, that is true. That the the but but this deal doesn't say everything freezes if the Palestinians disagree. It gives them four years right. and a freeze uh, on Israel's development, but it doesn't mean that Israel and areas like the Jordan Valley and, and other areas would be would be frozen in time. And I think the the message has to be that the Palestinian people have to hold their leadership to account once and for all. The Arab leaders are saying, look, we're tired of this. We, we want to see some progress. The Arab League adopted a critical position against it. But individual Arab countries, and I sat next to several of the ambassadors who were there at the ceremony, the Arab ambassadors, <coughs> and while they didn't applaud a lot of things, they did, and, and the fact that they were there, right. and that Saudi Arabia, Egypt, others came out with, supportive, even if not adoptive statements. And we should acknowledge that there's a, a shift taking place. And the, the, the question is, will the Palestinians hide behind terrorism? Will they try to incite? Will they just be obstructionists? Will they try to line up with Russia, which has been critical, and others, in order to avoid the responsibility, which only punishes their people more? Yeah. Um, and just to make it clear, because I think it's important, because you, you just hit on something with your answer that I never really considered, I, I kept thinking that that was a priority. Uh, PA and others, you know, Palestinian leadership condemning Hamas, uh, rejecting its mission to destroy Israel, etc. But as you just reminded us, there's plenty that can continue and that can be implemented in this deal, whether that happens or not, right? Would that be a way of putting it? And one thing to start with, yes, it would be. And one thing to start with is pay to slay. Right. Is that the demand that the administration has made this week, and others have made all along? And you know, we've discussed many times the payments to terrorists. That the more they kill, the three ta- attacks we saw, and then I saw this week here in in uh, Jerusalem and, yeah. and elsewhere, um, one just a few blocks from where I was. Um, uh, you know, th- there's got to be action, and by the international community, say this stops. No matter what happens in negotiations, this is an immoral. It's horrendous. It's outrageous to have governments rewarding people who kill civilians, and uh, the more they kill, the more they get. So that that is one area where you you could start. And on the Hamas thing, it's very interesting that Hamas, uh, the polls in Egypt also showed about a 70 percent negative view on Hamas. And and that has implications. Obviously, the the um, you know the the Palestinians are looking at some point for negotiations. Hamas is, wants to challenge the PA, so both don't want to look like they're weak in confronting Israel. But the the plans demands that it be demilitarized and that Hamas uh, recognize Israel, something that they're not prepared to do. Nor is is Abbas really ready to do it. And I think it's it's also outrageous that Prime, former Prime Minister Olmert is coming with Abbas to hold a press conference in the United States. They can do what they want in here in the region, but coming to the United States will confuse the issues, will will again give cover to Abbas not to be responsive. I, I, I saw that item, and I saw the reaction from, from the White House, but what's the purpose? In other words, what what's Olmert's goal with that meeting? Well, he'll be able to say, look, I negotiated with him, but he has to also say that he walked that Abbas walked away from that offer, which yeah. was, by and large, almost everything he wanted. So I don't know if he's looking to grandstand or to, to get public recognition. Uh, I've not talked to him about it, but 
I think it, the, the whole idea of it is is um, certainly unacceptable and, and, and at the very at most and confusing at the very least. Right. I would uh, s- about why would he appear with him? Right. Why, would, why now? Right. I would add unusual to that. By the way, the car ramming and the shooting and the attacks that you were that you referenced, some are actually attributing to the peace plan. Uh, I, I was thinking that as we get closer to elections, often we see attacks like this. Can we can we generally assume that these are random attacks that really could take place at any time? And the fact that there's now a peace plan uh, proposed or an election coming up is is probably irrelevant. I don't think it's irrelevant. I think it contributes to the atmosphere and people uh, the, the, the uh, incitement that we see again in the Palestinian Authority. But the attempts to organize demonstrations and protests have largely fizzled out. And I think it has to do with the fact that they don't have the PA authority doesn't have to appeal to people and that they are sick and tired of them, even if they don't like the deal. Uh, but the, the, the incidents appear to be individual incidents, although I'd say in Monk's cases we find some connection, but uh, one was a recent convert to Islam from Haifa and the um, and was driving and seemed just to turn around and leave right after he, he rammed into the uh, soldiers, one of whom was is very seriously hurt. And twelve in, in Israel, when, even when they say lightly wounded, it, it doesn't mean that they don't have numerous fractures and yeah. um, things happen to them. Um, most they caught the guy now, and they caught the one who carried out the attack inside the, the old city of Jerusalem. But yeah, I do think that this is related to the to the proposals and to the reactions to the proposals. Rather than saying, "Look, it's on the table," we don't pick it up from the table, but we're certainly ready to sit down and talk and negotiate. And, and instead, they're they're inciting the people, and they want to see. Uh, incidents and violence, I think, because it, it bolsters their position and it puts the kibosh on Arab states that want to come out in favor but are always concerned about the street reaction. But you're not ready to say that if not for this election slash peace proposal atmosphere, there likely would not have been these attacks, right? You're not willing to go to that. No, level. Well, yeah. if they're lone attacks and and not coordinated with every any you know organization right. or something, then the likelihood it, right. it's not today, it's tomorrow, or. A guy's just crazy and sees the soldiers there, saw an opportunity to ram into them. Uh, it may not have been planned or may have been planned. We don't know until there's more interrogation and information comes out. You know, that but, I never even considered it was the middle of the night, and there's a group of soldiers. You're right. Someone may have just said, you know, oh, finally, here's my opportunity. Very good point. And not and, and not and, and not even it out, right. Right, not even have planned it uh, uh, that thoroughly. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com and the NahumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, and he is in Jerusalem as we speak about the uh, events of the week here at JM in the AM. Uh, so which um, so let, let's talk about the, uh, the, the president's trip. He went to Uganda, and, and, and am I right that Uganda announced that they would be um, um, building or moving its embassy to Jerusalem? Was that what happened? You mean the Prime Minister's trip, not the President? Oh, I, I meant Prime Minister. Sorry about that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I thought maybe there was another one. No. Yeah, the Prime Minister visited Uganda, and they, they announced there, and as you know, we were there last year at this time uh, to promote the idea of moving the embassy and met with the, the same President of Uganda that, the, that Mr. Netanyahu met, um, and, and we know many of the officials there from their tenures in the United States and visits. Um, 
that Uganda said it will consider moving its embassy to Jerusalem. There was uh-huh. no decision and not an announcement. But what was also important is that the president of Sudan was there right. and held talks with Netanyahu and indicated that they would consider uh, negotiations and talked about uh, overflights, which may already be approved, that the Israel can fly over Chad and Sudan and Egypt, uh, cutting the time a lot. Um, they they also talked about the security implications for them because there were critics inside the Sudan, and, um, and it was a pretty bold move I thought on the part of the president who didn't hide President of Sudan who didn't hide uh, his approach to the prime minister. Interesting, uh, and that will hopefully attract even more and more countries. There was a time just a, a couple of years ago where it seemed that African countries were just dying to establish relationships with Israel. I mean, both for selfish reasons. They are. They still are. And it's still going on? Because Israel has so much to offer them from post-harvest reclamation and water, independence, energy, so many areas that people don't know about, but education, medical care. Israelis are all over the continent helping building, and uh, with considered appreciation that I heard expressed in the countries we have visited uh, for the Israeli assistance, so that that goes on, and the uh, and more countries are looking at the possibility of diplomatic relations. Unbelievable! Talk about being a light onto the nations, and if, if if Israel could have a role in turning around both the economy and the poverty level in these African countries, it just would be unbelievable. Um, Malcolm, which country uh, which country has the most anti-government protests right now? Iran, Iraq, Lebanon. Are there others you would put in that category? I mean, there are a lot of countries where we see it. pretty interesting uh, manifestations against the leadership or against the government. But um, the, the demonstrations in Iraq are continuing, even though they get very little attention. Uh, some of the demonstrations in Lebanon as well in this past week. Right. Uh, but we're also seeing the clashes in, in the Turkish-Syrian clashes in Idlib. Very serious development, not getting kind of attention it deserves, and it involves the Russians as well, and we could see growing confrontation between Turkey and and forces of the uh, allied with uh, Assad and some of the militia groups. Uh, this is uh, uh, they think that a campaign, that a military campaign of Turkey against Syrian forces, could put them on a, on a collision course with Russia, uh, which is really the only superpower ally after its break with the United States. So it's it's got a lot of implications for the region. Demonstrations inside Iran are continuing, and, and we see a much more in, interesting reaction from them to the deal of the century, which uh, they said that the deal will die even before President Trump does. Um, and, uh, you know, they have, they supposedly are putting forward their own proposal, and they're talking about Iran backing the Palestinian armed forces uh, to the degree possible. There was that conditionality, which I thought was was somewhat interesting on their part. Are, are Turkey and Syria officially at war? How would you describe what's going on on that border? Well, right now they're in conflict, and it's a potential that has the potential to spread and to widen. Um, for Turkey, they've made this the, a red line for them, control of that border. For the, the Assad forces, and they, they never, they did not support Assad, and the Assad forces are clearly anti-Turkish, and they want because they don't want any foreign powers occupying land there or and, and restoring the territories that Turkey holds back to to Syrian forces. So there is inherent um, 
conflict situations there that could get more and more serious. It, uh, you know, the the um, power that's uh, deployed there on the part of the Iranians, and you have uh, Iran also sitting on the sidelines, and certainly Russia and planes getting involved as a possibility. Uh, so we will have to see what what happens, but people should watch uh, that that situ- the situation around Idlib. And your reaction to this story? Russia today said that its ally Syria nearly shot down a civilian plane carrying 172 passengers while trying to repel an Israeli airstrike near Damascus the day before. Well, Russian says it doesn't mean it's true. We've not seen any corroborating evidence of it, and I think we should wait. Israel has to strike when it can at the sites of the where weapons are being transferred where they're being manufactured if you look scientific center which i've talked to you about for many years which periodically gets bombed because they were doing nuclear research they were doing other research it's also a storage place uh, for weapons and this was near the uh, mountain air force base and uh, was a necessary uh, operation as you know a number of terrorists and Operatives were killed, both Iranian and Syrian, and it shows that Iran is still continuing to try to destabilize region, shipping weapons into um, to, to Hezbollah in, in uh, Lebanon, right. and uh, and this was why Israel had to act the way they does. Moscow accused the IDF of using the civilian plane as a shield during its attack early Thursday. Uh, it's it's fascinating to me how Russia always has Syria's back, no matter who the conflicts with, and no matter who it is that uh, you know. It, it, Syria is so weak at this point, right? Am I that that would be an accurate statement? Syria is is but, it, well. Also, Russia has a lot of vested interests, and this is a place where they have challenged the United States and are dominant, where they are playing this critical role, and uh, may find themselves entangled more and more in something with uh, the Turkish conflict or Iranian-Turkish conflicts uh, heat up, um, but he has invested, in, and he has Air Force bases, naval bases there. He's gained a lot from the sale of weapons in, in this instance uh, to Syria, and the um, so, uh, you know, this is an area of direct conflict with the United States and is likely to become even more um, heated, I think, uh, as the as the tensions mount there. Uh, who's responsible for taking out Qassam al-Rimi? Well, it wasn't me, I can tell you that, but I think it's a great thing. Whoever did it gets a big yeshikah. We thank them for the removal, and as we saw with Soleimani, and everybody said it'll get worse, they'll do terrible things, you know, they're just going to replace him in a half an hour or somebody. It's not true. You cannot replace these key individuals. Their knowledge, their tactics, their uh, involvements are not replicated by other people. So, Every time a top-level person of these terrorist entities are 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 removed, it's removed. It is beneficial. Removal of Soleimani continues to reverberate, and we hear it manifest in people's comments and the absence of attacks since then, because of the he he was planning them and he he played a critical role in their execution. Uh, and, and the president uh, wondered aloud this week how Iran is going to respond to all of this. Right, what their next step might be. As they consider um, uh, the aftermath of uh, uh, the end of the Iran deal and uh, the attitude that the president basically has used toward Iran at this point, I mean, has Iran made any public comments this week about uh, you know where what they ha- how they see things going in the future? We will certainly talk to them about what the, and we see from them what 
their plans are for the future. Right now, I think everything is a big question mark. There's so many forces at play in in the region that it is it is impossible to predict and to assess. But what what is critical is taking a strong stand, being clear in a, in the positions of the West. The fact that the Europeans are so weak and backing off of everything, making themselves marginally relevant. I mean, they come, they find a voice to condemn the peace plan, but not to stand up against a lot of the terrorist entities, with the exception of Boris Johnson. And uh, you know, and that weakness is also manifest in, the, in what we see—the increase in anti-Semitism. I don't know if you saw the statistics for Britain that came out uh, a day or two ago, but shows uh, a seven percent increase overall to about eight, over eighteen hundred anti-Semitic incidents, but one hundred and sixty of them were violent assaults, and that's a twenty-five percent increase. And the governments have to do more, to, and there were calls for immediately from members of the parliament, et cetera, to stand up to what is happening. But it, unfortunately, these increases are taking place in other countries, and the governments who pay lip service to it often aren't taking the necessary measures and providing the kind of uh, enforcement that is necessary. And, and that's true in, in dealing with the issues in the Middle East as well. When you stand up, do the right thing you'll find that the others will follow. The, the people in, in the region are looking for leadership. They're hungry for it. And it has to be provided by the right people. Uh, speaking of anti-Semitism, do you see that the coronavirus now is being, uh, um, is being used as a, uh, as a topic of anti-Semitism, that it's possible, according to some conspiracy theories out there, that in fact Jews are responsible for it? I guess whenever anything like this happens, we shouldn't be surprised at that, right? Well, I'm still I'm always am surprised. You're right, but uh, you know the Black Plague, other things were blamed on Jews, and many Jews paid with their lives for for plagues. We also came an opportunity to extort them or to take their property and and uh, to express the hatred that was felt towards them and divert attention from other from the domestic uh, concerns or, or opposition. And I think. The, the fact that Rick Wiles is expressing these views and, and remains invited to the White House events is a big mistake, and hopefully that will end. He's made continuous uh, anti-Semitic and hateful remarks, and it, it, he should. Well, you can't take him off the air maybe for it, but you can certainly limit the accessibility and the recognition that he receives. And with the friends that the Jewish community has in the White House, why do you think it's taken that long to do it? To limit him, to limit I, I him, or know. to disinvite him, it, it doesn't make sense. And I'm sure you've you've expressed your dissatisfaction, right? Well, there's been many expressions of dissatisfaction about Wiles after his earlier comments about a Jew coup, uh, and something that uh, you know people tend to dismiss when these kind of comments are made, but right. they shouldn't. They have ramifications. It gets a life of its own and gets repeated because there were Jewish members of House involved in some of it. They right away try to portray it as uh, as Jewish motivated, and I think it's potentially dangerous. Uh, I don't know. Do you? I don't know if you saw this article by Thomas Friedman about Mother Nature and the uh, peace process in the Middle East. Did you buy any chance? I did not. Oh, you didn't see it. Okay, because he ha- he's making a point that unless there's cooperation and a real peace effort uh, going forward from this point, all the energy and all the water and all the uh, the food security, etc., that's you know that 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 region is dependent on. Unless Israel can get along with its neighbors and really have peace, especially with Gaza, uh, there'll essentially be an implosion of all of these resources. And I just you know you you don't know who to believe when you read stuff like this. And he's not always. But the- well, there's no need to be an implosion because Israel is 
not being isolated as he and others predicted it would be. In fact, there are more and more countries reaching out and and there's no reason to believe that you'd have to have a collapse of the system. We see the Mediterranean initiative being coming more and more attractive, attracting more support and countries. The the interchanges between Israel and many Arab countries that are not publicized, and, but clearly are recognized. And some of the statements that were made in response to the to the deal of the century also reflected that as well. That they, um, you know, there the, there is. Um, a groundswell of support, and I think the the party that is going to suffer most are the are the people in Gaza, the people in the PA who have no economic infrastructure, who don't have jobs, and who are dependent on outside assistance. And it is the the wisdom of the plan is to say to the Palestinians, you can have it better. Fifty billion dollars in aid, other things that will be your way. So I- you don't like everything in it. Get to the table. I, I got to read this. I got to read this to you, and, and you have to give me your reaction. He writes, Israel and Gaza have vast capacity to tap the Mediterranean Sea for manufactured water, and Jordan has great capacity to tap its vast, empty deserts for manufactured solar power. They also be networked into a confederation, harnessing the sea and sun with joint commissions to manage water, energy, and food security that would create healthy interdependencies. Then they could all rise economically together, rather than the siloed, unhealthy interdependency or unilateralism that they are now creating, where they compete for water, energy, and food, and pollute one another and fall together. I guess he doesn't get it that uh, that that Israel, in fact, has the openness and that people are ready to work with Israel on their resources you know, certainly he doesn't think so. Well, first of all, that proposal is something we came up with 25, 30 years ago in a commission I worked on to talk about the possibilities of confederation, but one where Israel's sovereignty is retained. And we have seen a qualitative change over the years where you have increasing involvement of Iran and, and, and Turkey, aggressive uh, terrorism-supporting entities, which you cannot uh, dismiss. It is true that we want to see greater cooperation. The regional approach in a lot of issues would be important. The Arab masses, Israel's technology, pull, pulling together the, the Israel, the energy discoveries in Israel, Cyprus, Lebanon, uh, and, and the pipelines to Egypt, the refining in Egypt, and finds off of Egypt's coast. These things could all bring together to to make it a powerhouse economically, and uh, and we could arrange uh, have security arrangements that would provide for everybody's needs, but you can't be naive about it. Right. It's not going to happen overnight, right. and and it's not just something where you wave, wave a magic wand to achieve. There is a lot of cooperation. Jordan and Israel. Israel provides water to Jordan, electricity and water to Gaza. Certainly, the West Bank uh, benefits uh, Israel from Israel in many ways. So there is an interaction. And some interdependence already. Uh, yeah, of course. And as we see from the African example that we just spoke about earlier, you know, it's really just up to the other parties, not Israel, to express some desire to live peacefully and to have an, a nice exchange. And in that way, they'll uh, they'll benefit from it. Um, I, I don't know how such a smart person could be so clueless when it comes to this. All, all we're waiting for is a real peace partner who wants to, you know, live in peace and take advantage of what Israel has to offer. Um, finally... Finally, the elections. Uh, the suspicion is now uh, that um, uh, that the um, uh, that the that that if in fact the left wing government, blue and white, ends up forming a government, that whatever deal was made by President Trump or uh, um, uh, proposed by President Trump is essentially not going to be uh, implemented. 
Uh, it's one of the reasons why I think some of the uh, people on the right are frustrated with the lack of annexation up until this point. Are you getting any indication yet about how this election is going or what we can expect? Uh, the people I speak to, I find people who are not going to vote, people are frustrated, they're tired of the election, they don't like it. Um, I think when it comes down to it, they feel the obligation. I know that Israelis who are coming in that week for APAC or other conferences are all flying back on Sunday so that they could vote. They take voting very seriously. And in this case, the question is, will it make a difference? Will the outcome be different? Will a fourth election be necessary? Or will they be able to come about with uh, some sort of a coalition that they can all live with. By the way, the leader of Blue and White, Sagan's met with the president, right. and he came out very positive about the deal. And so it's not automatic that Blue and White would take, a, you know, that vastly different position. Obviously, they come from a, a different place than uh, the prime minister. Uh, but, you know, bottom line, it's Israel's security. It's the realities on the ground that will dictate. There's no flexibility with that. Right. The, you know, the Jordan Valley's importance is it's seen by both parties, the blue and white, and Likud, and most others. Um, Yigal alone and the alone plan recognized that many years ago that this is essential for Israel's security and Turkey and Jordan's security. And I think that that you know is um, there are certain things in which Israel has no flexibility when it comes to assuring the security of future generations. Uh, by the way, I want to tell you one other good thing that we saw this week was that in Madrid. The city has turned over a magnificent building to the Jewish community to build the Jewish, the first Jewish museum in Madrid, uh, the, first, the last capital in Europe, I think, not to have a, a central Jewish museum. I don't know if Portugal does, but the um, and this is um, uh, going to be uh, the uh, Museo Judeo and the, the Jewish Museum in, in Madrid, and the um, the building is called the. Um, I forgot there was a name that was derived from the from the Nazi era, um, and the the uh, place was used to um, house or put under house arrest people. So this is really an important uh, opportunity to highlight the history uh, of Jews in Sepharad and uh, its influence and uh, bring back uh, the, re the remembrances and the history and traditions of the Sephardic community. Wow, very nice. Uh, finally, I just got to ask you, uh, when you see the snubs and you see the tearing up of paper at the State of the Union address, are you saying to yourself, how did we ever get to this point? Look, the polarization and the um, you know pettiness that we've seen on all sides and in so many instances, it, you know, it, it's how the world sees it. It's how uh, you know the Iranians played up that picture of her tearing it up and saying you know that it's coming to this outrageous thing and how divided Americans are and et cetera. It's true, Americans are somewhat divided, but we that's why I think responsible people can't allow an election to to rend us apart to exacerbate the existing tensions, to destroy the political center, to let issues, including Israel, become polarized and, and politicized. They have to be bipartisan. They have to, we have to recognize that the security and other issues that are of primary importance require us to be united. And bottom line is, I think we are. You know, there's a poll that came out that debunked one of the concerns that had been expressed by some people, leaders in the Jewish community, about the alienation and, and direction. It says that 80% say that they're just as supportive of Israel as they were five years ago, and that 70-some percent expressed the full support. doesn't mean they endorse every political position or, or policy. 
but fundamental support, recognizing the importance of Israel. And, and, um, and this is across the board uh, for American Jews. It's a very positive and important statement, which runs contrary to the assertions that uh, certain leaders have been making over over um, over recent years. And and I think that that um, it was a very significant um, uh, uh, poll by the number it was several thousand, uh, two and a half thousand, I think. But two thirds of them say they are attached or very attached to Israel on an emotional level, wow. and. 57% identified as pro-Israel and sometimes even critical of Israeli policy. So this is an important statement and reasserts what we've been saying all along, that I think the more people get it and that the anti-Semitism, the concern about the rise of, of Jew hatred, you know, drives people back home and they, they see the importance, more importance uh, for Israel, uh, just as they recognize that they want to come back to the community to have the support systems that it provides and the security that we try to provide. And it's very important that communities be aware and welcoming and offer opportunities for people to be involved and, and feel connected. No question about it. Will you be in a country next Friday where we can speak? I will let you know during the week. Uh, God willing, yes. All right. Thank you so much. God willing, in the sunny hills of Jerusalem. All right. Enjoy Jerusalem for Shabbat. <laughs> Thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Holine is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Um, want to remind everybody the fourth annual Holocaust Studies Conference. Uh, is coming up on the uh, 16th and 17th of February. It's brought to you by Project Witness. Uh, if you're a second-generation children of survivors or a third-generation grandchildren of survivors, if you're interested in learning more about the Holocaust, if you're an educator out there, uh, this conference can be very helpful to enhance your educational uh, portfolio and your educational curriculum. It's the fourth annual Holocaust Studies Conference, Sunday, February the 16th through Monday, February the 17th. At the, um, at the Museum of Jewish Heritage, downtown Manhattan. Uh, information about all of this, you go to projectwitness.org, projectwitness.org, or dial 718-305-5221, 718-305-5221. Rabbi Yudin's um, uh, message regarding Parshas Bishalach this week is dedicated to Ilu Nishmas, uh, Noach Yosef ben Menachem Mendel, uh, Noach Yosef ben Menachem Mendel, Allah HaShalom, his neshama, should have an aliyah. This time each and every Friday morning, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomri Torah, Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas B'Shalach. According to the Chinuch, Parshas B'Shalach contains... One mitzvah, a restrictive mitzvah, not to go and not to walk on Shabbos, chutz l'tchum, outside of the boundaries. The concept of tchum is one that is much beyond a uh, overview of the parsha, but clearly the theme is that the spirit of Shabbos and the law of Shabbos, which feeds in to create the spirit of Shabbos, is that we should be clearly in our locale, and to quote the Chinuch, 
Lo nelech bederech roko. We should not walk great distances outside the city, but rather within our confines of Shabbos. This is the very special parsha, whereby it is called Shabbos Shira because of the special song that the Jewish people sing when they successfully emerge from the Yamsuf, whereby in the very same environment it was dry land for the Jewish people, it was water for Mitzrayim, and the Beis HaLevi, I remind everybody, tells us that the theme of the Shira is not only that the Egyptians were drowned and we survived, but that we thank Hashem for using us, the Jewish people, as the vehicle through which He was honored, made known throughout the world. Because the rabbis tell us that every mommy giving a bath to her child, the water split in that bathtub as well. I'd like to focus on that which comes right after the Shira. And I'd like to begin with the following. Most people have either said or probably think that if only we had open miracles, if only we could see the hand of Hashem, then, oh my goodness, everything would be different. Too, peop- too many people, individuals, think that clearly supernatural phenomena and experiences would change their perspective on life and would bolster their religious observance. They would be set for life, having personally experienced and witnessed the supernatural. However, Parshas Beshalach and the incredible miracle of Kriyas Yamsuf proves them wrong. We are taught that immediately after B'nai Yisrael sang Hashem Yimloch Olam Va'ed that Hashem will reign for all eternity we're told that Vayechu Shloshes Yamim Bamidbar they traveled for three days in the deserts, and Velo Matsumayim they did not find water and they come to a place called Mara and they could not drink the waters of Mara as they were bitter. Now, I would ask each and every one of you that if we had to write the script, what's coming next? We would have thought that as challenging as this crisis seemed, they would have stayed relatively calm, having personally experienced Hashem's benevolence. The same Hashem that provided water in Egypt when their masters had blood, the same Hashem that had spared them from all the other plagues, the same Hashem that had three days earlier performed the miraculous salvation on their behalf, He would somehow rescue them from this situation 
as well. After all, Rashi brings the incredible personal miracle that after seeing their former masters washed ashore in front of them. Now what does that mean? Think about this for a second. Rashi, right before the Shira, tells us, Vayiru, they saw Mitzrayim meisalsfas hayom. So you could understand it to mean that they saw, in general, the people of Mitzrayim dead on the uh, ground in front of them. The water spit them up. But not only did the water spit them up, but listen carefully to this. The waters spit up each Egyptian master that he now lie dead in front of them, in front of the ones that that master had personally persecuted. And what did this accomplish? This alleviated their fears that just as they emerged from the waters, they were afraid, so too did the Egyptians. So the Torah tells us, right before the Shira, Vayaminu b'ashem Moshe avdo. They had faith in Hashem and in His servant Moshe. So if that's the case, ay, 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 they should have been calm. They should have gone to Moshe and say, Moshe, please daven on our behalf. However, sadly, unfortunately, a different reality presents itself. Rashi teaches in the name of the Mechilta that instead of coming to Moshe, and asking him to daven, they complained. What happened to their emuna? And I believe what is especially noteworthy is how the Chachamim, the rabbis, in the Gemara Bava Kama 82a, say that when the Torah records that they went three days without water, aside from the literal understanding, Dorshe Rishumos, Rashi says, those who know how to learn the text, aside from the literal understanding, they said that the text is to be understood that water is a metaphor for Torah. And what happened? As a result of their going three days without Torah, their disconnect from Torah weakened and diminished the charge of Amunah and faith that they had recently acquired. And therefore, the Gemara in Bavakama tells us that either the prophets that immediately succeeded Moshe, or as the Rambam in Hilchos Tfilah, chapter 12, Halacha Aleph, teaches that Moshe himself instituted that the Jewish people should not go three days without Torah. And therefore, Moshe ordained that the Torah be read and taught on Shabbos, Monday, and Thursday. And the Tikkune Zohar in Shmos 68 teaches that Hashem, His Torah, and the Jewish people are one and inseparable. Torah is the great connector. When the Jewish people are connected to Hashem through the Torah, then their emunah can uplift and sustain them. When, however, they are, ouch, disconnected from the Torah, the miracles by themselves do not have a lasting effect. Case in point, the famous Haftorah 
for parshas kisisa coming from Melachim Aleph chapter 19 we read of the miraculous descent of fire that was orchestrated by Elio Hanovi on Harakarmel. We are taught that the many spectators, the Jewish people that were there, who previously could not decide where their allegiance lay, Elio says, how long are you going to be? That you're going to be on the fence, either to Hashem or to Baal was their allegiance. They responded to the fire by immediately bursting forth with the term that we proclaim at the end of Yom Kippur, Hashem Hu Elohim, Hashem Hu Elohim. And then they slaughtered the 450 false prophets. But sad to say, they soon returned to their former ways. The exalting effect of miracles dissipates very quickly. Now what might be the reason for this? Perhaps to restore man to his state of freedom of choice, giving him his free will. The immediate, therefore, in this week's parsha, the immediate proximity of the story of Marar and its bitter waters placed between the splitting of the sea and their traveling to receive the Torah at Sinai seems a bit out of place. Why record this incident altogether? And I believe the Torah is teaching that to bolster and sustain the miracles, one needs the study of Torah. The study of Torah attaches the individual to Hashem, which is, in effect, perpetuating the miraculous. Now, there's no question, but that miracles were most necessary. The Ramban, in his explanation at the beginning of the Aseris Adibros, regarding the first of the Ten Commandments, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, Asher Hotzeisicha, Me'eretz Mitzrayim, they accepted Hashem as their God, as they personally experienced through the miraculous events in Egypt, that He, Hashem, is the Creator, that He, Hashem, is the Legislator, having celebrated the first Pesach and followed His laws. However, the effect of miracles dissipates very quickly. In addition to literally imbibing godliness, the study of Torah maintains and sustains Aramuna, our faith. We see how the prophecies of the Torah have come true, and it reinforces our belief that all the future prophecies will be fulfilled. The Orachayim HaKadosh, at the beginning of Parshas Tetzaveh, cites the Zohar, that regarding the three prior exiles of the Jewish people, we were, were redeemed in the merit of the three patriarchs. The fourth exile is in the merit of Moshe. And this exile is so long, and I couldn't make this up, take out the Orachayim HaKadosh at the beginning of Tetzaveh, it's the third or fourth paragraph, and you're going to see this for yourself. Why is this exile so long? As Moshe does not wish to redeem a people who are not involved in Torah study.
We pray that this most recent Siyamashas, which not only united so many Jews worldwide, rallying around the accomplishment of completing Shas, but hopefully has aroused many more to dedicate time, effort to the study of Torah, thereby enhancing their life and hastening the redemption. I just wish to conclude to remind everybody that this coming Sunday night, Monday, is Tu Bishvat, the Rosh Hashanah Le'ilanos. And the idea behind it is that we celebrate the fact that the sap is rising in the tree. But note how the Jew celebrates. He celebrates by making brachos over fruits that come from Eretz Yisrael. An amazing thing. Here too, again, we connect through Torah. What's the priority? Which brachos, which fruit come first? That which I like more, that which is listed more within the Pasuk of the Zayaminim. The concept is very clear. That Eretz Yisrael is the land and we thank Hashem not only for the bounty of Eretz Yisrael, but to appreciate, in addition, the sanctity of the land. When one eats of the fruits of Eretz Yisrael, says the Bach, one imbibes the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael, the place which is the ideal place for the study and observance of Torah and mitzvos. Shabbat Shalom to all. Shalom Aleichem
Love 
J.M. in the A.M. Davidax with a Shabbos medley. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Shabbos Shira coming up. Candlelighting at 5 p.m. here in New York. Mazel Tov going out to Yaakov and Estes Idel, brand new baby boy out in Brooklyn, New York. Mazel Tov. And Mazel Tov to Avram Yaakov and Nechama Melman, brand new baby boy down in Lakewood, New Jersey. Mazel Tov from all of us here at the JM in the AM. Uh, coming up at 9 o'clock, it is Naomi Nachman. Naomi has the uh, brand new edition of Table for Two. She's joined by Daniel Schwartz of Pasto- Passover Listings, LLC. Zalmi Duchman of Mello Suvi and Chef Shauna Goodman, all three uh, guests coming up in uh, the next episode of Table for Two, which is starting 12 minutes from now here at the Nahum Siegel Network, followed, of course, by the encore presentation of the Arab Shabbos Show. Thank you to our wonderful friends at Kedem, followed by uh, Harry Rothenberg's uh, Parsha video blog, followed by the Arab Shabbos music mix. Thank you again to our wonderful friends at Kedem. Um, KFWE coming up on the 17th, on the, yeah, 17th of February. Go to Kosher Food and Wine Experience online and you'll see all the information. Um, Ashley Blaker is at the Soho Playhouse till the 23rd of the month, including, I think this Saturday night, I think this Saturday night is the only Saturday night performance. I think tomorrow night's is only Saturday night performance. So if Saturday night's your only night out, you may want to go to Ashley Blaker tomorrow night, or of course, you may want to go up to Yeshiva University, where the Maccabees are going for twenty straight tomorrow night. I don't know. I can't tell you what to do, but <laughs> but uh, you may want to do one of those um, uh, tomorrow evening. Uh, don't forget to vote in the uh, World Zionist elections. It's voteoic.org. Voteoic.org. We of course are on slate number four, and I hope you'll choose slate number four again. Voteoic.org. VoteOIC.org for uh, information on that. And again, I hope you'll uh, you'll be part of it and um, and remember to vote over the weekend. Hey, I want to wish a Mazel Tov going out to Ablimi and Josh Berkowitz. And next time you're up at Eden walking New Rochelle, make sure to wish Josh a Mazel Tov. It's Miriam Bracha who gets the big Mazel Tov. Their Bat Mitzvah celebration for Miriam Bracha takes place tomorrow night. We say Mazel Tov. Uh, to the uh, Berkowitz and Wegg families from all of us here at JM in the AM. Again, Miriam Bracha, her bat mitzvah celebration tomorrow night. Mazel tov, Miriam Bracha, from all of us here at JM in the AM. 11 minutes before 9 o'clock. 5 o'clock is uh, candle lighting time here in the New York area as we continue on this Erev Shabbos Shira, Erev Shabbos um, Parshas B'Shalach. And uh, Monday, don't forget, Monday, Tubishvat special. Mayor Weingarten is here Monday. He'll co-host a Tubishvat special with me. Already looking forward to that. I'm sure he's loading up on Buxer to bring. Of course, you know, Mayor. Would he Would he give up an opportunity? Not a chance. Uh, <laughs> anyway, if you want to hear all the banter and all the explanations and all the commentary and all the fun of a Tubishvat special, make sure to tune in this coming Monday morning between 6 and 9 right here at JM in the AM. Brand new Eitan Cats. I'm 
Brand new live in Jerusalem, volume number two with Eitan Katz. Pretty good, huh? Yeah, nice selection to say the least. Monday's our Tu B'Shvat special. Make sure you're tuned in. You don't want to miss it. I can tell you that much. You don't want to miss it. Lots about the land of Israel, much about uh, Tu B'Shvat, of course, and so much more. Mayor Weingarten will co-host between 6 and 9 with me right here at JM and the AM. Again, make sure to be tuned in. 
this coming uh, Monday for the Tu B'Shvat special. Happy birthday, Yassi Leitner. His parsha's B'Shalach. And, um, and that comes from, hmm, not quite sure what that means. Comes from his wife, Shira Devora. Okay, there you go. Um, and please keep in mind Dina Esther Basnachama, Dina Esther Basnachama for Rufur Shlema. Time to say good shop is with Journeys at JM in the AM. The sun is going down, it's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by, become a memory. So throw away your hammer, there's nothing left to do. Say good job, cause all your work is done. I'm gonna spend the day together with the Holy One. Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine. Man and his creator, it's a very special sign. Your candles will be burning They'll fill your home with light Singing songs of Shabbos Well into the night So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do
Achenu Israel and Achenu our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSegal.com and the NachumSegal Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. And that will wrap up another amazing edition of JM in the AM. Thanks so much for tuning in. Table for two with Naomi Nachman and her three special guests and a brand new show comes up next. Full day here, of course, at the Nachum Siegel Network with a big thank you to our friends at Kedem. Saturday Night Siegel with Avrami tomorrow night with Ariel Yezer Zwickler. Sunday, it's JM Sunday with Matis, continuing to do a stellar job every Sunday morning between 7 and 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And don't forget Monday! We could say it on Monday with me and Mayor Weingarten here for the Tubishvat special. Have a fabulous Shabbos, great weekend. Till Monday, Nachum Sigal reminding you remember the past, live the present, and trust the future. <laughs>